everybody. Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. This is episode number 123. I'm Ross. And I am Gordon. And that's handy, because that's the people what's supposed to be here. <laughs> so this time we're going to have some fun, Gordon. We're going to talk about something photographers appear to hate. Yep. Yep, that's video. So how many cameras come with the ability to shoot really great video these days? Um, all. All, all, I think all is the correct answer. And yet, how many folks who own these great cameras, who are good photographers, actually ever shoot video? Almost none. Yeah, in fact, it's, according to the industry data, it's something on the order of less than 5% actually ever engage the video functionality on their interchangeable lens camera. So I'm curious. Why? When people shoot video on their smartphones. It's pretty freaking easy. Point, click, go. Does a decent job. It's not that much harder to do that on an interchangeable lens camera. You might have to push possibly a different button or flip a switch to video. But beyond that, it's pretty straightforward. So you weren't always a video shooter. No. And, but you are shooting more video now. I am shooting more video, but possibly not as much as I should. Okay. That, well, that's a personal choice, obviously, right? Yeah, well, I say the same thing. I sh- you know, I'll come back and go, why didn't I shoot some video? Mm-hmm. So why do you think that might be? Um, well, why, why we don't use the video, I think, is... Uh, possibly the first one is probably that in the course of learning about photography, uh, nobody ever bothered to teach us. Okay, that's uh, fair. Uh, so once not taught, um, the conscious decision to go ahead and do that uh, became more complex. Uh, I believe so. Uh, part of it was uh, the setting up of the camera. Now, you said it's not much more difficult to do it now uh, using a DSLR or an interchangeable lens camera than pointing and shooting with, say, an iPhone. But I don't think it always used to be like that. Oh, that's very true. Absolutely so. The first implementations of video on interchangeable lens cameras, which covers, of course, DSLRs and mirrorless, was kind of uh, challenging. You had to know a lot of settings, and you had to do a lot of stuff to in order just to get it to work. Mm -hmm. And particularly in the case of DSLRs, where we're accustomed to autofocus, there wasn't much, if any, and what there was was very, very slow. Right. That, of course, has changed in the 12 years that we've had video built right. into these cameras. And, uh, you know, there are still folks using cameras of that vintage, but most people have, who are interested in photography have moved along. Yes. And they've, they've bought newer products. Now, interestingly, you said you don't shoot as much video as maybe you think you should. Yes. And I admit that sometimes I'll come back from a shoot where I could have done video and didn't. Right. Do you think that's a mental thing? Yes. Um, I, when I was thinking about this, I I think as still photographers, if you wish, we are accustomed to capturing a moment in time. Okay. You have to change that mindset. You now have to start thinking in terms of shooting a continuum to get your point across. So and the we whole are not accustomed to doing that. Okay, so if I hear you right, the whole concept of story is very different. Yes, I believe so. That's probably a pretty fair assertion. You know, for those of us who've been photographers for a while or who are just starting out, we will at some point in our learning hear about photography as capturing 
the decisive moment, if we use yes. the Cartier-Bresson phraseology. Yes. Video can still capture decisive moments. So, as you say, a continuum or a sequence of events. Right. Um, I'm curious. Video is not the same thing as home movies. But I wonder if people of a certain vintage think of video the way they experienced home movies at their hands of their parents. Well, certainly people of our genre... I would say that it would be a very accurate statement. And often those were... Painful. Frightening. <laughs> long. And boring. Yeah, all of the above. Because shooting movie film is actually hard. It's really hard. You've got to be very planful. Uh, and editing it, back then or even today... Involves razor blades and splicing tape and dark rooms and, well, certainly when I first learned, a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> Not smoked by me, but my educator was quite the little train engine there. Right. So maybe there's this perception that it's, that the shooting it is not the hard part, but that the construction of the final product is going to be an enormous amount of work. Do you think that's possible? Uh, that prob probably is the perception at this time. Okay. Now, one of the things that you had said to me at one time was that it's a completely different skill set. I think it is. Okay, that's fair, because I think we're dealing with different metrics from what we know as still photographers. They're not vastly different but nomenclature and conception may not be the same and maybe that's been missing in education mm -hmm. um, you spend more time in camera stores than i do do you feel that many of the salespeople are well accustomed to encouraging and teaching their customers into how to use the video functions in the new cameras uh, at the risk of treading on toes, I would say no, they're not. Yeah, and I don't know that it's treading on toes because fundamentally a lot of camera stores really focus on the still aspect of it. Even though the cameras can do video, it's not been one of the primary drivers. People don't rock in and say, I'd like a great still camera that does great video. I know, you know, in years past when I was in that environment, people would say, I would like a, a camera to take pictures or I would like a camera to make videos. Right. And they were seen as two very separate and distinct things. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe that's another aspect that is a reason why folks are less inclined. And, and I also think that people, well, let's stick to our genre. Uh, they were accustomed to carrying a video camera, if that was what they were going to shoot. Yeah, that's probably fair. Like going on vacation, I got my video camera, and the concept of using the same video camera, except it isn't a video camera, didn't translate. I think that's more than fair. I think the other one of the other challenges that folks who have tried it and who come from that space, that I have a video camera space, mm -hmm may have struggled with the challenges of potentially focus. Uh, mm -hmm. Even in those video cameras, the larger sensor ones, you had to do a lot more work to get quality video. And I think this is something that we forget a little bit about. You know, if we think about the old point-and-shoot cameras that were autofocus, they didn't have to do a whole lot of work because the sensor was really small. Mm -hmm. And so, so the depth of field was inherently large. They got massive depth of field, even at what we might, in the ILC space, consider a very fast lens, you know, 3.5, 2 weight, even faster. We would say that, that those are large apertures and less depth of field. Mm -hmm. Whereas if the sensor is very small, 
there's buckets of depth of field there, and the autofocus doesn't actually have to work very hard. Mm-hmm. And those, you know, one over one third inch or one over two two third inch sensors in those video cameras of the day, they had pretty much infinite depth of field. Right. There was no depth of field consideration, and many of them didn't even have an adjustable aperture. However, if we went to the serious video camera space, the very expensive video camera space, they all all had variable apertures, or as the terminology in that space is, iris settings. Right. But I don't think a lot of us come from that space. Because as you say, it's a different mindset. It's also a different skill set. And it's and good video, like good photography requires planning. Yes. And intent and goals. Um, one of the, the joys of photography is the ability to do a snapshot. Just a real quick memory. Mm-hmm. And I think the folks that you do video on their smartphones, they've figured it out. Because they can do that same kind of short video clip mm-hmm. and not really worry about it a lot. They're not looking at production value. They're looking at that really quick memory of the cat doing something cute. Right. Or the kid playing soccer. They're not making an hour-long film of it. And in that case, those folks have figured out something that cinematographers figured out a long time ago. Right. Clips need to be short. Right. And that's one of the challenges that we had with our parents who were shooting movie film. They'd fire up that 8mm or Super 8 camera, hit go, and burn through the whole cassette with, with while just filming everything. Yep. Including bobbing up and down in the feet and everything else. Um, and maybe that's thrown folks off. So I think one of the first things that we could take away from this is that if you've ever shot video on your smartphone, think about the duration. We're not making Spielberg epics here. Right. We're shooting a series of clips. And that shouldn't be any different than on our ILC camera. Yes. Now, one of the things that you and I both know is that when someone gets an ILC still camera, they can't wait to get off program. In fact, I've seen sellers in camera stores tell people that they should never use program. I don't understand that, but it it happens. Because uh, I've never seen program do a bad job generically at exposure or focus. In fact, in most cases, it works really well and in a lot of cases it works out better than the um how do i say this politely (laughs) interaction with the machine to try to do something (laughs) that it suggests may not work is that long enough to yeah uh, that's it's to cloud my my intent so i think one of the things that we should probably talk about in that case if People are nervous about the settings, and they're nervous about the focus, and they're disinclined to use program mode. Do we need to go through all those settings, or is the first place to encourage the ILC photographer to try videos, simply put the camera in program mode and shoot video with it, and let her rip and see how it goes? Keep your clip six to ten seconds long. (coughs) Don't worry about sound. That's a whole different game that the still photographer never deals with. Right. Um, But as we've seen, uh, and you recently did a post on a a photo shoot, you and some friends went on, and you overlaid an audio track of some music. Yep. So... The audio wasn't a problem, whether you shot nope. video or stills. Nope. And I because think those were all stills. So, and I think that's really an important that we not get hooked up on the audio. I know that that was one of the things that would throw off people who wanted to get started in video with their interchangeable lens camera. 
it suddenly looked like they had to go down this very deep rabbit hole where you didn't know how big the teeth were on the critter at the bottom of it in order to get decent audio. Sure. So why don't we forget about it and not well, worry I, about should, the audio? I, I, get, I get a feeling. Um, well, for one thing, I don't believe I was ever told to shoot video in program mode. But I believe that that is probably the fallback mode for all the automatic um, settings that you have on on your camera. Now, if you put it in video mode, it's probably falling back to program mode. If you put it in video mode and the camera is set for program, it is. Yep. I mean, think about it. We can shoot with a smartphone. You know, when I was down at the business last week, I shot all kinds of video on my smartphone because it's all I had with me. And I didn't make a single setting. The smartphone was in program mode. Right. Now, could I have overridden it? Absolutely. Did I? No. Did the videos come out okay? Yeah, if I did my job around composition and placement, they came out just fine. Do I maybe want to trim the start and the stop? Do I want to dump the audio track? Do I want to cut off the part where I forgot to hit stop and and got, you know, 30 seconds of feet? Yeah, absolutely, I do. But that's not that hard. And yet I was able to come away very quickly with useful video. And in my case, I was using it for an optimization uh, and improvement project. And those videos become very illustrative. You know, we say that a picture is worth 10,000 words. What's six seconds of video worth or 10 seconds of video worth in terms of conveying information or story? Probably uh, probably a lot. I think it's possible. So I'm a little, I'm still curious as to why we, those of us who are predominantly still photographers are so reluctant to try the video. I mean, I think of your camera. It does amazing video. And I know this because I used one at the last rodeo that we went to mm-hmm. uh, and you, and filmed, I forget what the name of the group is. They were, I think they were Canadian Cowgirls. Or something. The Canadian Cowgirls, that's correct. It worked out great. And I was just using, you know, an Olympus OM-1 or OMDEM1, might have been a, a Mark I or a Mark II, I can't remember, and got great video. And it looked terrific, and yeah, there was audio, but I didn't care, because I wasn't really shooting it for the audio. I right. could put a, an audio track if I wanted. But what I got there is a very different story than what I would get making stills. Mm-hmm. You know, with a still, I might be inclined to focus on one of the riders right or the rider in the horse with the video i get the whole pageantry and and how the riders work together as they're moving right you know you get three or four horses abreast going through a, a tight turn there's a lot of skill that's going on there on the part of the riders um and you know a lot of training that's gone into the horses I don't know how I capture that as a still. Yeah. But uh, from what you what you said there, the you said that uh, if you were shooting stills, you would concentrate on one person and what they were doing. And those same techniques should transfer over to the video. Oh, absolutely. And it should yeah. be factored into what you're going to do. Yeah. The temptation is to do what I did, which is point my camera and press whichever button happened to be handy and and let it go. And when I looked at it afterwards, I said, this is a bunch of rubbish. So being planful still matters. Still, it, it has to. It has to. Otherwise, I mean, I could do that with stills too. Just point it at something and, and hold the button down. I could come home with a thousand frames of garbage. <laughs> may have even done so once or twice. You know, you get caught up in the sound and the fury of burst mode. 
Right. But it's interesting, you know, we see people who've got burst mode just hammering on that button. And what do they end up with? A lot of the first shot that that wasn't very good to start with. And if the subject's moving, they got a series of stills that show some movement at whatever the burst rate is. So let's use a a pretty common burst rate, which is 10 frames per second. Mm -hmm. So if we were to photograph a moving subject with burst mode at 10 frames per second, Mm -hmm. in one second we would have 10 frames. Mm -hmm. And if we were to put them together as individual prints, one after the other, Mm -hmm. in one of those little flip books that we had when we were kids, we'd have a movie. Right. And we would be thrilled by that. And in fact, that's exactly what we were doing. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I could flip to video mode and let it rip on the defaults. And instead of 10 frames in a second, I'd get 30. Mm -hmm. And I'd get a really smooth movie. Right. Seems like that would be easier. Well, one would think once you... But the interesting thing that I've seen is we only think that way when we've got a DSLR in our hands. Should we, God forbid, reach into your hip pocket and pull out your smartphone and point it at whatever you were going to point your DSLR at, you will default to the video mode. You won't take a shot and then another shot and another shot. You would shoot video. Yeah, I think you're right. So why? Yes. So I, what's it goes the, back what's, to the, what's the mindset, gating factor? I is, it the, is it all mindset? Is it fear of I don't know what the settings are? I mean, the settings no, are pretty I easy. I don't think they don't even think about that. They, yeah. they just say... Oh, this is video. I'm not going to do it. They don't think about what the settings are or how easy it would be. And until they undergo the education to show them that it isn't any different, uh, that mindset will persist. But I think the younger generations have naturally graduated to the point that we are trying to get to. I think that there may be a generational aspect to it. Sure. Uh, I mean, we do see younger folks entering the, the still photography space, but not at the rate that folks of our generation and the generation after us did, because still was the only thing that was there. Right. Now video is, in fact, the norm, mm-hmm. and stills are falling by. And it's much easier for them to share the video now than it perhaps used to be. Oh, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You can, I mean, with the smartphone, you can shoot your video and upload it to one of the social services or even YouTube in no time at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And it looks good. It looks good. You know, a lot of it would benefit from some trimming and maybe some stabilization and, maybe even a title or two, but in a lot of cases, it's just a quick... Yeah. It's, it's just a quick shot. Look what Johnny did as he, stood, as he fell off the slide. Yeah. Yeah. Here, 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 here's little Bobby going down the toboggan. Oops. There's the tree. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bobby. Okay, so I think you've identified that this is not a... Inherently a technology issue. It's more one of willingness or will to just try something different. Right. So, sorry, go on. I wonder how hard it really is. Well, I was just going to ask that actually because uh, so I was, I switched to mirrorless in 2018. And prior to that, I was shooting Nikon and wasn't the most recent Nikon, but I don't recall there being a video setting on that. Uh, I think it was a 600. Okay. Well, but I got an old Canon 7D Mark II here. Okay. Let's find out. 
So if it didn't have a video setting, then I did have to set the frame rate, and I did have to choose the aperture, and I had to juggle my ISO, mm -hmm. or put it in program mode, as, you, as you've said. Yeah. And if I hadn't figured out how to save those settings to a recallable space, like one of the customizable uh, Preset uh, presets, that was just too much effort. Sounded like a heck of a lot of work, right? It does. Okay, so I've got the 7D Mark II in my hands, um, and I did put it in program mode. Okay. Um, and I'm going to flip the one switch that's on the back that looks like a video camera. Okay. Oh, my goodness, there you are. And there I am. And I push start, and I'm shooting video of you. And it's tracking you, and it's keeping you in focus. Gosh, you're a handsome fellow. And I push stop, and my video is done. And it was shooting in, this is an older camera, so it was shooting in what we call full HD or 2K. Right. And, and I've exposed the info screen. It tells me it's 2997 frames per second. I have no idea what the shutter speed was or what the uh, aperture setting was because I'm in program mode. And if I go to playback, well, there you are, and I hit the button. <coughs> yeah, it looks like you. And you're in focus. You're in front of your microphone. You're looking very stern. Oh, gosh, yes. And you got your head, headphones on, and it just worked. Now, I do know how to make all those settings. Right. But my point is I didn't have you to. didn't have to, correct. I didn't have to. And this is on an old camera where it actually had to be thrown into video mode to get the mirror out of the way. So many folks have gone to mirrorless where there's no mirror in the way. Mm -hmm. That shooting video is just so easy. See, do you think there might be an aspect of, well, if I, I, I I'm a professional photographer. I, I spend a lot of time, I, I don't mean me personally, but uh, I spend a lot of time and I've invested all my money. If I just put this camera in program mode and I take a video, I must be giving up something. I must be demeaning myself in some way to do this. Okay, that's fair. So let's talk about where we go from program. Okay. So if we get into the technicality of it, video is actually really simple to shoot. Mm -hmm. um, basically, video is recording a series of stills. Yes. Right? Think mm -hmm. of them as JPEGs. Right. Now, if you're shooting um, in full HD mm -hmm. or 2K, that's a two megapixel still. Right. Even if your camera can do 50, the still frame is still only two megapixels. Right. And the reason it's two megapixels is because the camera is going to do either pixel binning or line skipping because it needs to get 30 frames every second. Right. And needs to be able to write that off. And I've chained myself to the chair. With Good my move. headphone cable, how handy that is. Um, so it's always going to be individually lower res frames. Right. That's not a big deal because I'm seeing 30 of them every second. I'm never going to see degradation. No, not at that speed. Because I'm seeing 30 of them every second. Now, your camera will shoot 4K. Yes. So that means it's going to do, let's say, at the same frame rate, 30 frames per second. Right. It's going to shoot eight megapixel stills, mm -hmm. and I'm going to get eight of them or thirty of them right. every second. Right. Oh, that's better. But it's still something. <laughs> but it's still less than the resolution of the sensor that you would use in the still case. Right. And you don't care because it's moving. Correct. It's live. I mean, if you plant a film camera, like a seventy mil Panavision camera on a on sticks and you got your whole darn crew there, and you 
film an apple on the table for five minutes, <laughs> it's not better or worse than it's a still photograph of an apple on a table, except you had to sit there for five minutes. Or maybe you got up and walked away. Video works best when things are happening. Yep. You know, a video of a still thing, you might have a still frame in a video to set context, you know, like you're doing a travel log. Well, you might shoot a few seconds of the sign for the town you're entering. Right. You know, as you're driving down the road. But those are the exceptions, not the rule. It's the movement that's interesting. Right. So, oh, movement. Oh, I better start thinking about shutter speed, right? Mm-hmm. No, you don't no, have you don't. to. <laughs> because the beautiful thing about frames per second is to find out what shutter speed to set at, if you're going to do it manually, mm-hmm. is double the frame per second and put one over it, and that's your shutter speed. Right. Now, I said that the video I just shot of you was at 29.97 frames per second. Right. That sounds goofy, doesn't it? It does, but round it off. Why is it that way? It has everything to do with North American television broadcast standards. There you go. Absolutely nothing to do with anything else. It's all about time sync for broadcast. Okay. I'm not broadcasting. Don't care. Fair enough. So... If my camera says 29.97 or 30, I really don't care. And so if I was going to set my shutter speed manually, I'm going to use a 60th of a second, right? Right. 30, one over it, times two. That's yep. a 60th of a second. That's pretty easy. And I never change it. Because it doesn't matter how fast the subject's moving because I'm shooting 30 frames of it every mm-hmm. second. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the great things about an interchangeable lens camera that I don't get on the smartphone, and that I never got on those little dedicated video cameras, I got one sitting on the floor over there, is I didn't have control over depth of field. You still have control over depth of field in your interchangeable lens camera, Mm -hmm. and even though we're not using all the pixels on the sensor for every frame, we're still using the lens and that depth of field. So if I want shallow depth of field... Can I have it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I can. And so what we think about as still photographers is aperture, how much light we're letting in. And then we think about depth of field. Think about depth of field. Right. If you want lots of depth of field, use a small aperture. If you don't want much depth of field at all, use a big aperture. Right. And it's pretty freaking easy. You know, I think about this camera that had a... Hang on. What lens is this? It's Canon. It's not labeled. That's awesome. Freaking idea what it is. It's 50. F1.2. Okay. wonder what the aperture was set at. I was in program mode. I have no idea. 1.2. There you go. Works good. You, you look terrific. Well, the less you see of me, the better, so, you know. <laughs> but you look terrific. The background behind you was all blurred out. It was very clear. You filled the frame. Except for my shake, which I could remedy with a tripod. Right. Or a monopod. I'd be perfect. Didn't need anything else. Right. And if we were in brighter light... And there wasn't something immediately behind you, maybe I could use a slightly smaller aperture for a little bit more depth of field. And it would all be good. Right. So, frame rate, shutter speed, their equivalent. Aperture is depth of field. That's all it is. That's it. Now, if we read some of the people on the internet, they're going to insist on calling this iris. Okay. You can call it Snephalopolis if you want. It's still just depth of field. And yes, it's true that true video lenses measure light transmission differently. Yes, they don't have F-stops. Yes, they have T-stops. And you know who cares? 
professional cinematographers. Yeah. And that's that's really not not any of us. No, it's not. So I think that anybody that was actually going to be in a position of caring about that kind of stuff would probably invest the time and the money to go and learn how to do it properly. And they're but probably not, not using even properly. A dedicated video that. camera. Yes. So they would get a video camera and they would go and learn how to do it properly. The correct way, uh, for whatever that is. Well, for whatever but for the rest of us, who are trying to tell an average everyday story, none of that matters. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. And in fact, even the professionals will use interchangeable lens cameras. I remember, as a videographer, reading a very enthusiastic article about the television show House. Do you remember House? Mm -hmm. So the last season of House was shot on Canon 5D Mark IIs. Right. They did all their video on 5D Mark IIs. A lot of the B-roll in Captain America, the first Avenger, the right. first Avengers movie, was shot on interchangeable lens cameras. Mm -hmm. Light, portable, and perfectly capable of generating really good footage. So nothing technically wrong. So the last thing that we often think about as a still photographer um, is the ISO. Right. And we get all hooked up about, well, I've got to shoot at the lowest ISO or I'm going to have noise that I'll be able to see clearly on a 72-inch screen if I'm two and a half inches away from <laughs> it. We talked about pixels. But, I, but I'm not sure that's true. Uh, once, once you've got other images moving all over the screen, I'm not sure how much noise you're going to see. Fact of the matter is, you're not going to see much of it. So to your left, there's a, um, a Canon C300 video camera on, on oh, a tripod. That, that left. <laughs> yeah, other left. <laughs> yep. So that'll, um, that has what's called a Cinema 35 sensor, so smaller than a sensor in a in a full frame. Right. It's about the size of a Micro Four Thirds sensor, in fact. Okay. Um, it uses Canon regular mount lenses, um, and it'll shoot video up to ISO around 80,000. And who notices the noise? You're probably not going to shoot there all the time. But when you do, you're doing so for a reason. Right. And you're going to get the shot. Right. And odds are good because it's moving frames nobody's going to notice or care. Right. So the purpose of ISO in video is more like a dimmer switch than anything else. Right. You turn the ISO up to make the image brighter. Mm -hmm. You turn the ISO down to make the image darker. Right. It controls the brightness level. Mm -hmm. And that's why in video, this is called gain. Okay. It's like the gain control on an amplifier. Okay. How loud is it? Or the dimmer switch on the wall, how bright is it? Sure. Oh, okay. Well, now I want to shoot some video and I want to create the sense that it's dark. Okay, I'll turn the ISO down. Or I'm working in lower light and I want to get some detail in the shadows. Okay, I'll turn the ISO up. Right. Turn the gain up. And the beauty of shooting either off the LCD screen on a DSLR or like your camera through that electronic viewfinder or even or off the LCDs, you see exactly what you're going to get mm -hmm. before you press the go button. Yep. And on most cameras, including most mirrorlesses that I've shot, the go button is a dedicated button with a red dot. Yep. Right near your finger. Yeah. Push to start, push to stop. It, it's even one step simpler than on that 7D Mark II that I just used in right. this in a little informal demonstration. So I've got my... I understand that shutter speed isn't a concern. I'm just going to match it to the appropriate frame rate. Right. Um, I'm going to choose the aperture based on the depth of field that I want. Yep. And I'm going to use the ISO to set how bright the scene is. Yep. And that's if I'm doing everything manually. Mm -hmm. 
Now that's an old camera and it was doing tracking autofocus of you pretty darn good at f1.2 and you're about five feet away so that's pretty much no depth of field right your camera does it even better and does it even faster Mm -hmm. because it's newer yes and it has a newer and more efficient focus engine so hmm focus not a problem now if i'm shooting a pro cinema camera there is no autofocus. Right. I've done it. And that's why on film sets, movie sets, which are typically shot on video cameras now, you have a dedicated job called the focus puller. Right. And all that person does is they look at a little screen dedicated to them and turn focus wheels. I'm not sure how exciting that gets over 2,700 (laughs) hours of filming. (coughs) Now, that C300, which is quite old now, it's only a 2K camera, it does pretty damn good autofocus. But it focuses. It's not like a smartphone, which doesn't actually focus. And it's not like one of those little micro video cameras that we all had with the little flip-out screen Mm -hmm. and the hand strap that didn't actually do much focusing at all because they had such massive depth of field. So... Frame rate, depth of field, mm-hmm. brightness, mm-hmm. autofocus. Mm-hmm. It's all in the cameras that most of us own. Yep. Didn't need to buy anything else. Nope. <laughs> I guess the only deficiency is going to be an audio. And that's why in a professional film set, you see a separate team with microphones on sticks and separate field recorders and all that stuff because they don't actually record the audio with the video. Right. We can. We've got built-in microphones, and if we don't like them, we can add a microphone after the fact. Mm-hmm. Or, as I'm probably more inclined to do, because unless I'm doing an industrial analysis film, which is what I did, I don't care about the sound of the motors on the rail. That's annoying noise. I'll throw in a backing track or I'll voice over it. And what can I use to voice over? Anything you want. Anything I want. Smartphone does a really good job. And that's just an audio file. (coughs) So shooting video is not hard. Getting people to try it seems to be hard. If they see the value in doing it, and they may not be perceiving the value. I agree. So uh, I think when the point at which I woke up and started to smell the roses was I was watching a wildlife photography presentation done by Michelle Wahlberg. Okay. Famous Canadian photographer. Famous Canadian photographer and one that I I love her stuff. It's no, it's 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 fascinating photography. But she kept interspersing her presentation with video shots. Mm-hmm. So this is the polar bear as I saw him starting across the lake and he was coming in my direction. Okay, that's good. That's a polar bear. It's walking. Looks like it's on a lake. And then she threw in a video. And the polar bear is now just down the street and it's looking right at me and I'm saying, I don't really want to be here. But it changed the entire color of her presentation or she had a seal a giant um, male seal flopping his way around on the rocks and hollering his head off and it's it changes the context of your video like of your presentation like immediately so maybe the the other issue that still photographers have 
is they haven't figured out what to do with the video once they've shot it. Okay. I can understand that. You know, we, we're accustomed to putting together slide presentations or, or, pre, or pre, presentations of any kind, PowerPoint presentations. We haven't got to the point of saying, if I put a video in here, this would make a whole, whole lot of difference. Mm-hmm. And I think until we cross that barrier, um, we may not get to that point. Okay, I think that's fair. We could probably spend an entire episode on the whole subject of where do I put my video and what do I do with it? And maybe we should. But you reached an interesting point. If I'm making a PowerPoint presentation or a keynote presentation, Mm -hmm. can I put stills in it? Yes. Can I put video in it? Yes. Oh. So the tools I already know how to use can also work with video. Yes. So the only gating factor is my choice to use video to enhance my story. Or somebody flipping the switch. Or somebody flipping a switch. It's not that hard. If I choose to. Mm-hmm. So it's freedom, it's freedom of choice. Now, we spoke earlier about your, your little video that you did. And it is a video. <coughs> of A video made from stills mm-hmm. uh, using Adobe Spark. Yes. And I'm a huge fan of Spark. I think it's a brilliant little tool. I don't know how it could possibly get easier to use. <coughs> I have to admit it was it was very easy to use. Um, I spent no time whatsoever on finding out the, or finessing it. I would have liked to have seen uh, the stills uh, on screen for a little longer. Uh, I might have wanted to change the overlays of the um, titles and stuff that mm-hmm. I had put on. But I'm sure if I wanted to do it, then, you know, another 10 minutes of probing around and pressing buttons, and I, w- I would have had it done. You're probably right, because Spark does allow for that. But, but I, the- I just, you know, I said, okay, I want to put this on the screen, let, let the people that were at the show or at the outing uh, take a look at it, so. So I didn't really try all that hard. I just lumped it in, typed some stuff, and presented it. And the feedback you got was really positive. It sounded that way. No, it was, because I read it. And it looked really good. And I looked at your <coughs> your <coughs> Spark presentation. Right. Now, Adobe calls it a video because it's a sequence of stills with delays. It's sort of like a self-running slideshow. Right. Um, it had some text. It had music. And had you wished to, you could have put video in there. Because Spark will just eat will eat video just as well as it eats a still. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have to know how to do anything particularly fancy. Nope. You know, if I have a video clip and I want to trim it, Spark gives me trim tools. Start here, stop here. Right. <laughs> it's pretty easy. Uh, in fact, I don't know how much easier it could possibly get. So when I was teaching Spark... for the Kelby One community, uh, and even for our own camera club, I just grabbed a bunch of video and I hurled it together, used the trim handles and spark, and I've got a shown presentation that anybody in the world can look at. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to do compression or edits or whatever and upload it and get a channel and do all that stuff. I got a URL, and I can send that URL anywhere in the world, and anybody can watch it. Right. So I actually do have a very simple output source for my video. And most of us as still photographers use Lightroom and Photoshop, the right. photographer's bundle, and we get Spark for free Right. as part of that. But we haven't figured that out yet. Well, that again is asking a question or hearing it from someone like yourself who just went out and did it. So I think in this episode, we identify that the only gating factor to shooting video with your interchangeable lens camera is the person behind the camera. Yep. And I think of the great philosopher, now dead, Carlin. Oh, yes. (laughs) who was oft known to say, 
you got to wanna. Yep. Yeah, you do got to wanna. But sometimes wanna is no more than just let's see what happens. Yep. I got a dog. I got a cat. I got kids. I got grandkids. What's the worst thing that happens? But, it doesn't but work. many of us don't wanna. I don't wanna in the sense that. But we want to make stills. Yeah, but we don't know what's going to happen if I want to press this button. And uh, that that is a major limiting factor, I think. So I can understand that, but I'm going to disagree because at some point someone said, I want a still picture. Right. And if, is, if it is true, as you say, that the younger generations are focusing on video, sooner or later, those of us with sticks will catch up and go, these young whippersnappers, I don't yeah. want them getting the best of me. I can do this too. And in fact, yeah, we all can. Sure. It's never been easier. So, guys, I want to thank you very much for listening to this episode. We'll attack the video subject again. Because I know I've talked about it for several years, and it's it's a slow, it's a very slow adoption curve. Mm-hmm. So we'll look at it again, but in the as we wrap it up, it's not hard. Your camera does it. You may actually have to look at the manual to find out where the video start and stop button is if you can't find the giant red dot. <laughs> and your camera probably has program mode. It's really easy. So, I'm Ross. And I'm Gordon. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll speak to you again soon.